to dive in. So I mentioned last week was the beginning of Vision Month. And for those of you that weren't here, first of all, I'd love for you to go listen to the podcast. We have um, our podcast online on our website, or you can have the podcast app and just look up Life Church X, subscribe, and then you can listen to the messages anytime. But of course, there was a lot that we led into last week to kind of kick things off about our vision. And then we're moving forward with it more uh, today and through the Sundays here in January. But we are a church that is driven in led by a vision. And one of the things that I mentioned last week is ultimately the church, the body of Christ, the overall church that Jesus died to establish really has one vision that is synonymous, that it's in sync, and that's to reach the world for God. It's to Jesus to go and make disciples of all of the nations. So proclaiming the good news of Jesus so people can get set free and saved, and then multiplying that by raising up disciples who can lead and develop leaders within the church. How each church and the local communities interpret that and then walk that out obviously looks unique because we're all different. We all have different gifts and talents and abilities. And so the statement that we make, which is what we call our why, which is just kind of a way to like begin speaking about our vision really is something that we say is raising up game changers. So if you hear that term game changer around here, what we mean by that, a game changer is basically someone who is walking in the calling and the purpose that God has created them for. How many people know God has a plan for your life, right? Every one of us, God created us with a plan. God didn't create anything without purpose. He doesn't do that. He's purposeful in everything. And so we all have a purpose. And so when someone gets a revelation that, oh my gosh, God has a plan for me. I'm not just here to exist and take up space. That there's something that he has me on earth to do. There's something that kind of comes alive in them. And then it's about seeking that and walking that out and being empowered to see that come to fruition. Now, when someone's walking in their purpose and in their calling, we call them like a game changer because the thing is the power of God flowing through your life and moving it into all the different areas of your life that you're involved in. It's a game changer. Like the, the presence and power of God is the most influential transformational thing that will ever occur in your life. And so when you're walking in your purpose, this, the landscape, the scenery of your life and the relationships and the things you're involved in around you, when God's hand comes to it, it can't help but get blessed. It can't help but take off. It can't help but change. And it's not something, any, anything that a person or, can, or a human being can do on their own. So we say raising up to multiply and help more people experience that and walk in that and see that happen so that really what we need in the world is we need more people taking that transformational love and power of God into the workplace, the schools, the government, our, all the sectors of our society, instead of the church being boxed inside some walls on a, in a building on a Sunday, but people actually who are the church being the church out there in their everyday lives. And so that's what's going to be the game changer. That's what's going to change the scope of, of the scenery in our nation, in your lives, and in all the places in our society. And we are about that here. We're about raising people up to walk in that and to get empowered in that. So that statement, raising up 
up Game Changers is kind of where we begin. And like any other, any great organization, if you're going to walk that out, you, you have to put context to a vision. You have to have uh, core values. You have to have a few things that are what we would call like non-negotiable, undisputable, like these are at the core of who you are. And so the tough thing with values is that you could come up with a list of 20 or 30 things right off the bat and you could say every one of those are great and virtuous and noble and should be a part of your value. The tough thing actually is to reduce those down to a few things, three or four or five, that you determine these absolutely have to be a part of our core leadership team. We have to represent these, we have to embody these, and they have to drive everything that we do. When it comes to strategy, when it comes to execution, there's a lot of great things that can happen, but if it causes us to violate or compromise any of these values, we simply can't do it and won't do it, no matter what, because these things we hold dear. And so those four values for us are passion, humility, integrity, and love. And so today, I'm going to be speaking about the first two, which are passion and humility. And just to, just to say, if you're going to walk in your calling and walk in your purpose for your life, these are huge, important things for you as well. And I'm going to show you how the Bible lays out some examples about passion and humility are a part of a person's life who's on fire for God and living with that power. And then next week, we're going to get into integrity and love. And I'm really excited because my wife's going to be speaking next week. How are you doing, babe? You doing good today? She's going to be speaking next week about integrity and love, which is great. We've already talked about this. She needs a lot of work on love. So she's been, yes, I mean, she's working on it. And so it's great. When you need to grow in something, it's good to just go up and speak about it, prepare a topic about it, you know, talk about it. So anyway, she's talking about integrity and love next week. And then the, the last thing that we're going to get into the, the fourth and fifth week of January is we're going to talk about our focus, which is what we do, which is the activity that's actually flowing out of this vision and these values. And those are four things we say experience, extend, expand, and exchange. And I'm not going to get into them too much today, but essentially all the activities, the events, what we do in the community, they all flow out of one of these four areas of focus. We've got to have a razor sharp laser focus in order to keep moving forward because how do you know, how many know if you don't have a direction that you're aimed in, you're going everywhere at one time, right? So we have a direction and a focus and it flows out of these four things. So getting into week two, vision month, passion and humility, let's open up our Bibles and we're going to start out in John chapter two. And I've got the new living translation. So you can just read along with me, whatever version you have. But if you don't have the new living translation, you can read it up here on the screen. John chapter two, <coughs> verse 15, 13. It reads, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. Let me pray one more time. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, 
I just ask you to speak through me today. God, there's nothing that I can do to change anybody. It's all you. Lord, I ask you just to use me to deliver a message of your truth, of your word, in a way that that penetrates hearts today, God, and transforms lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what, what causes our Jesus to flip over a table that's pretty precise wasn't it don't look at me like that so what causes our Jesus we, we see Jesus he's you know he's a lot of things but right here I mean he he's he's passionate about something it says that the disciples saw what he did and they remembered a, a, a Old Testament phrase an Old Testament scripture it was actually David was saying that zeal for your house consumes me and in the New Living Translation it translates passion for your house or your temple consumes me and so they see what Jesus is doing and they say man that that we know what that's about Jesus is passionate about what's happening here see Jesus our Jesus he displays qualities and attributes through his life and if he displays those qualities then they're good qualities for us they're qualities that we ought to emulate and so what is he passionate about obviously we're not just passionate about anything in life we know that the Bible talks us it talks to us about in Galatians and it warns us that we don't have to be passion burned with passion of lust or for or passions of the flesh so if, if that's not it what exactly is it that he's passionate about it says he's passionate about what's happening in the temple or the Lord's house and what's happening is something that's wrong is kind of violating what should be going on there but you know in the Old Testament the Bible talks about the temple and it's a place where people come to worship God but in the New Testament the Bible talks about that our bodies are the temple of God that they're the house of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit rests right and so we we are what God is looking for is his Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us once we're saved once we confess Christ is that God is looking for us to get passionate the way Jesus is passionate about the purpose and about the calling and the plan that he has for our lives we know that the, the Bible says in the book there was a prophet named Ezekiel who said that when the Messiah comes he's gonna take this heart of stone out of you and he's gonna put a heart of flesh into you and that heart of flesh means that we're sensitive to things we can receive things now the truth of God can fall on soft soil and actually settle in and then the truth of that can reveal things to us about God's will and about his plan and about his purposes for our lives God's looking for us to get passionate about good and noble things that God sees that are noble and good and he's looking for us to get passionate about things that are wrong that God says are wrong he wants wants us to say God show me your thoughts and show me your ways that I may walk in them and as we do we become passionate we burn with a zeal just like what Jesus is demonstrating here that passion that he has for what's happening that's wrong drives him to take action and do something and how many people know that passion a life of passion and purpose is a life of movement it's a life of action we're not meant to just be indifferent to things we're not meant or created to be lukewarm to things and just sort of settle for stuff that's not what God
God created you for. He created you to be on fire with passion for the life that he's created you to have so that you can live it out with a purpose and an energy and a forward thrust and movement that only God can give you. But how many know that the world, the enemy, the devil and the world, they there's just a, a tendency to try to beat that passion down in us, to try to suppress the God-given gifts and talents and abilities that are in us, that the world and the enemy want to keep those things silent. But the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it says that the complacency of fools will destroy them. We can't ever just settle. We can't ever get insensitive to, to the things that break God's heart. They ought to break our heart. And we can't ever be indifferent to the things that are virtuous and noble and good that God wants us to meditate on and live like. We can't ever just be lukewarm about that. Jesus was passionate in all he did. When it says zeal or zealous for your house, that word in the Greek actually is a word that describes what happens when water boils over. So when the sound of water bubbling and the heat is coming from within the water, when it starts to boil and then that steam is put off, that's where we get the, that's where the, one of the things that this word zeal represents. So when there's an inferno, guys, going in on the inside of you, which is the Holy Spirit has revealed that you have a life of purpose to live and you're seeking that out and you're growing close to God, there's this passion, there's this fire that's just getting stoked on the inside inside of you and then the, the sound of water boiling over it's like that spills out from the inner man of you into your life in the form of action and direction and things that you're living for and the impact that you're making outwardly in the world around you he say amen if you believe that amen so the, the enemy wants to, to beat it down in us now there was a prophet named jeremiah who God put his word inside of. So God put his word inside Jeremiah and set him on fire for a mission. And his mission was actually a tough one. He had to go and tell the nation of Israel how bad they were being, how much they were sinning and how they needed to turn for their ways. Great assignment. Yeah. So he's like, but the thing is, is even though in the natural, he was like, gosh, this is so difficult. This is hard. I don't want to do this. There was because the truth was in him, because God's word was in him and the mission to do that was in him. He couldn't hold it back. Listen to this. It says in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 20. And then I said to God, I will not make mention of him. I'm not going to speak of his name anymore, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. You know, when you get set on fire for your purpose in life and that passion is like a byproduct that just spills out. Passion's like when the water boils and steam comes out, steam's the byproduct of the boiling water. Passion's just like the byproduct of getting set on fire for a purpose that God has for your life. And then passion becomes a driver. It becomes fuel. It just, it, it's like a force that keeps moving you forward. This zeal, like the Bible says, that we have from in our inner man to go and live the life that God's called us to live. It's what keeps us moving when 
when things get tough. It's when, like Jeremiah, it's hard and it's difficult and the world wants to shut it up. It's what's inside of us that says, I simply just can't. I can't hold it back. I have to keep going because I'm ruined for God. He's wrecked me and I know about this great thing he has for my life and I just got to see it happen. I just got to seek it out. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how much the world wants to keep me quiet and make me lukewarm. I just can't live like that anymore. Amen. And Jeremiah's like, I, I just can't keep it back. I can't hold it in any longer. And as we move forward against adversity, this is the great part. When you're moving forward with passion, even though you're coming against adversity, it's like resistance, right? And there's friction with resistance. And so there's energy and heat that's created. But the cool thing is I've never went through a challenge and a difficult thing that I didn't trust God, that he didn't get me through. And I didn't come out stronger on the other side for it. You know what I'm saying? It's like resistance creates strength. We don't really want it. We don't want to jump into it head first and say, yeah, give me a hard time. But a lot of times we go through things and because we trust God through it and there's a passion that's driving us forward that says, I simply won't stop. Then we get stronger through it and we face future things of adversity that just eh, no big deal. But it was a big deal a few years ago or whatever. Right. So you get stronger through that. The New Testament church survived for 300 years, intense persecution after Jesus. Truthfully, like factually and if you look at reason like it should not have happened the new testament church there's no logical reason how it could have grown and, and continued to move forward and and not get squashed out by the powers that be of the roman empire for 300 years yet it grew like wildfire i mean there was nero emperor nero domitian diocletian there's three major emperors that were persecuting and killing jews trying to squash this thing out and the church just kept growing and they knew that they were going to get killed if they got caught but yet they just kept doing it why passion zeal they knew something now they were changed from the inside out they couldn't go back anymore it didn't matter death no they didn't want to die I'm pretty convinced of that but they, they didn't keep them from saying I've got I've got a purpose to live for and passion was driving them forward in what they did I can tell you this, I have only become more passionate every year of my life since I have met God and known God about the purpose that he has for my life. I mean, that's as true as it can be. I'm not saying that just to say it. I am more passionate every single year about the life that he's created me for. And I suppose that that will only be the same way every year here on out as I continue to stoke the flame and the fire within me of that relationship with my creator. He's amazing and he's wonderful. And I can't imagine a day out from under his presence. I just simply cannot. And so as we move forward, passion drives us. Listen to this quote from St. Antoine Expury. It says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up men to gather wood and divide the work and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. I mean, to say, let's talk about what we're going to do or let's talk about how our actions are going to be is, is putting the cart before the horse. Let's talk about how to yearn for the vast and endless purpose that God has for you. Let's talk about how to stoke that flame from within this relationship with God, because as that burns, 
there's nobody that's going to be able to stop you from going and living out your purpose in your life. You know what I'm saying? Like to say, hey, let's go do this and let's get excited about what we're doing. Eh, no, let's know God, the creator and the author of this thing. Let's know him intimately and let's see that passion burn from within and then drive us forward to do all of the things strategically that he's calling us to do in our lives. Whether it's a, a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a teacher, a businessman, a, a political person in the government, in the schools, in the family setting, you name it, all the different things that our lives touch and strike a chord with each and every day. Those things ought to be marked by passion that's coming out of you that God is burning and driving from the inside out. Amen. <laughs> The Bible says in the book of Colossians chapter 3, this is the amplified version, whatever you do, whatever your task may be, work from the soul that is put in the very best effort as something done for the Lord and not for men. Work everything you do. Do it with all your heart and unto the Lord. That's that word in the Greek, with all your heart, heartily. It means like from the, the breath of life within you, the soul part of the man. You ought to be functioning from a place in you that's deeper and more powerful than the intellectual man. You ought to be functioning and moving from a place that's the deepest part of who you're created to be, which is the spirit, where God's spirit dwells inside that temple and burning and stoking that fire every day. There is nothing that can compete with that kind of force and zeal and passion that a person that's living for the purpose God has for their life. Amen. Amen. I know my kids, you know, they are great examples of, of, of this. Like the, anything that they do that's new and exciting, they find a new game or whatever. It's like they're going to go do it as, to the full umph degree of whatever it can be done. Right? Our boy Dax. So you don't know, I have six kids. OK, so there's a lot of chaos in my house all the time. And my oldest is nine and my youngest is one. So you do the math. It's pretty tight. So we our youngest Dax and he's the first. So I got five girls and then a boy. It's crazy. I know sympathies come to me. I understand that. Thank you very much. Pray for me. So Dax gets this new tractor, you know, this little John Deere tractor that he walks around and scoots on. Well, of course, that turns into derby races in the basement with the kids, the girls' cars. And eventually they're so passionate and so intense that there's like a head on collision. And ultimately, every time there's something new, it ends up resulting in screaming and crying and yelling. And you're like, oh, there it is. Knew it was coming, you know. But it's like kids, when they when they discover something, they're just like, whoo, you know, passionate, excited. It's like they just want to do it. And and that's the thing that they're aimed in the direction of. When we get a revelation about from God about our lives, about, man, he has something for me. He's, he's put gifts in me. Like, there's things that I can do or that I'm good at that I, I didn't do that. I didn't create that. Like, that's part of, part of how God made me. And then we can get excited and passionate and say, I, I don't want to just suppress that. I don't want to just, like, turn that to the side. Well, I don't really know how to use I don't have time for that. I got to work and pay bills. I gotta be, it's like, what are you talking talking about like these are things God put in you you don't think that he wants to bring them out of you and use them to do amazing things so we got to let that passion come out and stoke that inner fire right what I would say what are you passionate about what are your gifts, really? Like, what are you good at naturally? Not that you, you know, I'm not saying like you learn how to throw baseball good or something. I'm saying like, what are you naturally good at? And I would say to you that God put that in you. There are things that he authored your life with that were a part of you before you came into the world. And those gifts are meant to, to be a part of how your purpose and your destiny plays out. But, but perhaps maybe, maybe 
you you aren't living with passion right now? Have you become lukewarm? You know, and it's okay if that's the case. I mean, maybe this is the first time you're hearing something like this. Or maybe you've suppressed passions. Like, you know they're there, but you're just kind of keeping them down and you're suppressing them. Or, or maybe your passions have just been misdirected for a period of time. And so you're just running up against things where it just doesn't seem to be coming out and, and flowing the way that it should. Maybe it's just misdirected in the wrong areas, right? But what are you passionate about? And, and, and spend some time praying over that and meditating on that and talking to God about it. Get with some strong believers who will speak truth in your life and ask them, what do you think that I'm good at? What do you think I'm great at? What are some of my gifts? And it'll tell you, you know, point blank in, in truth what they feel that they see in you. A lot of times people see things in us that we don't see in ourselves. So what are you passionate about? And then the other point in that verse, he says, do it unto God and not unto men. Yeah. Boy, this is a big part of it. Because if we're doing something to please men, the passion's only going to burn so hot. But if you're doing something for an audience of one, if you're aiming to please almighty God with your life, can I tell you something? Aim for the top and you'll hit everything underneath of it. If you want to have favor with men, that's okay to have influence but it's we gain favor with men by gaining favor first with God. He is our chief aim. He's the one that we ought to be passionate about living our lives for. There's a great danger in being drawn in and sucked in to, to having a desire to please men and, and people in our lives. I, I'm not saying I don't want to make my wife happy or make my kids happy. What I'm saying is if I'm pleasing God with the way I'm living and I'm passionate about what he's created me for, I know that I'm going to be a husband and a father to them that I could never be if I was just simply trying to do things without pleasing God first. Yeah. And never, ever hold back. You know, don't, don't hold back out of fear or intimidation or what might not be or, or what might happen or, well, if I do that, that means these things are going to change. You know what? Can I tell you something? The world's going to change whether you like it or not. It's going to change every day. It's going to come at you so fast and you are not going to be able to avoid that. So if you're worried about moving forward, don't hold back what God has put in you. I know you got to figure out how to express things. You got to figure out how to go in different directions and how to use things. I understand all that, but don't hold it back. The, this is interesting. In the book of Genesis chapter 4, we all know the story of Cain and Abel, right? So, you know, in the book of Genesis chapter 4, uh, Abel and Cain both bring an offering to the Lord. No, we don't need to put that up there. Abel and Cain both bring an offering to the Lord. And Abel, it says that he was a farmer and he had flocks and it said that he brought the very best, the first fruits, the fatted calf. He brought the very best of what he had. And it said that God was pleased with his sacrifice and with his offering. But Cain, he was a farmer and he cultivated crops. And it really just says that he brought some of the crops that were on the ground to the Lord. So he still brought a sacrifice, but it's, any, it's interesting because the Lord was pleased with, with Abel's sacrifice, not with Cain's. And it was interesting because... Because Cain was actually holding back the best of what he had. 
Isn't that, isn't that something? The Cain, Abel brought the first fruits and the best of his, of his, uh, of his herd. And, and Cain had the opportunity to do the same thing, bring the best of his crops. But he didn't. He just brought some crops. And the Lord knew it. Like the Lord always knows our heart and our abilities and what we're capable of and what he can do in us and through us. And so if we're not giving him our best, if we're not living for our best, for him to do that in our life, he knows that we're holding something back, right? And he's looking for the best that's in us. Now, the good thing is, is that this isn't a strength that we draw from ourselves. The source that we draw the strength of from is the very God himself that's looking for the best that we have to offer, right? Him living in us and strengthening us as we're living with that passion to be all that he's created us to be. So there's passion for you. Now let's talk a little bit about humility, the second value. In a lot of ways, pride is kind of like the antithesis to humility, right? So sort of like the opposite end of the spectrum. And the Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. There's like there's some like crazy things in scripture that are like totally ironic to the natural mind. Like I humble myself, God exalts me. The world and the, and, and the enemy would tell you, no, 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 you need to exalt yourself. Like you need to promote yourself. Like you, you need to be your biggest promoter, man. You need to like, yay me, big cheer, you know, and get yourself out there. But the Bible says it's, it's just the opposite of that. The Bible says is, is the, as we'll walk in humility before God, that he will actually raise us up to a place of influence and exalt us to a place of favor that's beyond what we could ever achieve if we're trying to promote ourselves there, right? And we, and, and we as people, we kind of get into that where we, and we do it unintentionally where it's like, well, I got to get ahead. I got to, I'm trying to, you know, get myself out there. And I'm not saying that you don't talk about your gifts. I'm just saying that there's a difference between self-promoting and then trusting and knowing that if I'll remain humble, God is going to take me and elevate me and exalt me to places of influence and favor that I can't get to on my own and live that way as we're walking it out, right? The other thing that we can tend to do with pride is that it can cause us to try to bring other people down because that somehow makes us raise up. Like there's another way of doing it ourselves, right? Putting our own hands on it. It's like if, if, if I can somehow bring other people down, did you see what they walked in wearing? Oh my gosh, you know? Oh, I just can't stand that person. Oh, did you hear about that? And it's like, well, what is that all about, really? Like, aren't there better things to talk about, you know? And and at the end of it, in a lot of cases, probably most, somehow there's this twisted sense of gratification in the, in the sinful man, the human man, that people get out of bringing other people down, really because, not because they want to bring people down, but because somehow it makes them feel better about themselves. And pride drives that, which is the opposite of humility. And so if we live in humility and we let God cultivate humility in us, then those things he'll purge out, he'll do a way with and there won't be like this impurities that are tainting the parts of our lives where we just ought to remain humble as we walk with God and see him exalt us to places that he wants to take us. Amen. Amen. And then there's this whole thing about open your Bible. If you got Matthew chapter six, this is always a fun one. Matthew chapter six, verses one through four says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. 
Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may give glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Unbelievable, right? It's like God saying, look, don't worry about you trying to get credit for things. Don't worry about it. I got you covered, man. I'm going to take care of all that. In fact, if you can keep it secret, if you can kind of do it in the shadows and kind of be on the down low, probably better that way because that just me and you know it, and I'm going to reward you greater for it. But see, we get this, oh, man, I really wanted them to know what I did. <laughs> man, I really went out of my way for that. Man, I just mention it, you know, <laughs> kind of, oh, by the way, oh, I didn't really mean to point attention to that or not. But you know, it's like, God's saying, listen, just, just do away with all that. Don't even worry about that. Let me take care of it. You just keep walking with me. You don't have time to even think about that stuff. You walk with me and, and you do things because you're doing them for me and no one else. And I will reward you openly in a way that you can't get rewarded by men. You can't. And that's the kind I want in my life is the ones that God can bring to me, right? And if that means for some reason that I am in the shadows with a lot of things that I'm doing in the way that I'm living, I am perfectly fine with that, right? I mean, it's kind of like Katie and I, we play a lot of games. We're real competitive. And whenever I am winning and beating her and she's just like, you know, she's antagonizing me and she's like, I'm going to beat you. And I'm just like cool and humble and just, no, this is no big deal. I'm just, you know, and then I win and then it's like, yeah. Oh, it's no big deal, whatever, you know. And that's the way it works out, right, Jeremy? You know, I mean, yes, yeah, witness. Can I get a witness? Yeah. So, uh, and if you're honest, Marley, you saw it too. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> All right. So now the thing about humility that's funny is that it's actually not weakness at all. Sometimes it gets confused that way. Humility is actually a strength that we could never even know uh, if we tried to be strong on our own. Listen to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is Paul's talking about verses 9 and 10. Paul's talking, God's speaking to Paul. And he said to me, so God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Huh? What? Like, hurts the brain. I don't understand that. When I am weak, then I am strong. You see, humility isn't weakness at all. It's just recognizing where real strength comes from. It's just being desperate and dependent for the true source of strength that doesn't originate in us it originates from a source outside of us, which is the one who created us. And we know that when we're aware of that, when we're clear of that, and we yearn for that strength, we walk in a humility because we know it's not me, it's him, right? And there's the pure, true kind of humility that God's talking about. He's like, no, 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 I want to show my power off. I want to show my strength off. I want to raise you up to places of influence and have favor. I just want you to know it's me doing it. I don't want you to be confused about that. And I don't want anybody else around you to ever be able to get confused about that. That's what humility looks like. It's that strength that's coming from knowing it's not us. 
It's from Him. And in order to receive that kind of strength, guys, we have to be emptied out in order to be filled up. This is the thing. Is in, there's an emptying of self that's a part of the walk of humility. There's a part of like... Well, I want to have God's, but I, I kind of want to keep doing this thing this way. Uh, I kind of want to keep this thing, you know, and I want to keep doing my business like this, or I want to keep this relationship like this or whatever. It's like we partially empty ourselves out, but if we're only partially emptied, how many people know you're not actually empty? It's like when I've got a quarter of a tank or less of gas, I'm almost empty. I'm still driving. How many people like to do that? Like the light goes off. You're like, yeah, next stop. You know, Katie's always freaking out. She's like, oh my God, you're never ran out of gas yet, you know, but anyway, so when you don't empty yourself all the way out, when you don't just take your hand and I get it, I know this is like easier said than done, right? But when you don't just take your hand off of your own life completely, God can't put his hand on it completely. If you partially empty yourself out, you're only going to get partially filled up. Watch this. Got my table right here. Partially emptied is not empty. So let's say that this dirty cup over here, you know, this is me and I got God, revelation of God. He's got a purpose for my life. I want to see that happen. That's my desire. I want God's plan for my life, not my own plan. But there's still some of this stuff that's left. Like, I still want to keep doing a few things my own way. You know, it'd just be too hard. Maybe, you know, it'd just be too difficult. God understands, right? Well, things that we do. And, and so God comes along and he says, well, I got this pure part of me, this vision for your life, this pure thing that I just want to fill you up with. But, you know, you're still, you're still partially full. You're, you're just a little bit emptied, not all emptied. It's, it's still tainted. It's still discolored. It's still got some sense of our human, sinful, imperfect, fallen nature on it. Do you understand what I mean? And so if we say, I'm just going to empty myself out. I can't do it anymore. I, I, I can't do this on my own. I give up. Hands off. God, take the reins of my life. I can't do it on my own. I need you. I don't care what you say. Say it and I'll do it. I don't care where you tell me to go. I don't care what you tell me to stop doing. I'm going to live in a full obedience and faith, trusting you that no matter what you say to do, no matter where you show me to go, I know it's right because you're perfect and you would never steer me wrong. I'm just going to trust it fully. I'm going to take my hands off and I'm going to let you just fill me all the way up. And now God's pure and perfect nature, his vision for your life, it's untainted, it's untouched by any of the sinfulness that we would want to put on it. And now God can really have his way with you. And that's what we've got to be. We've got to empty ourselves out so that we can actually be filled to the brim. And as the Bible Bible says to the point of overflowing so that what's spilling out of us into the world around us is what God is God's best that he has to give. Amen. Amen. The Bible says John the Baptist, you can go ahead and stand to your feet. John the Baptist said as he was moving forward in his walk, he was the preparer for the way of Christ. 
He said something that was powerful. We ought to be saying this in our own lives all the time. He said, let me that I may decrease so that he, God, may increase. That our self, our own wants and desires, our things that, that are part of our own humanness is like, let ourselves decrease and let God take the front and center stage in our lives. That I may decrease, really. I don't need, I don't need anything except what God has for me. I don't want anything except what God has for me. And that's going to be hard to do. It's going to be tough to walk out. So I'm going to have to cling on to him, the author of this thing, and trust him every step of the way because he's got a strength that he gives that I can't know in any other way apart from a relationship with him. I'm going to stoke that flame. I'm going to stoke that fire. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be diligent about it because he's number one, man. He's number one. He's the top priority in my life. And if I'll burn with that passion and zeal and he'll change me from the inside out, I know that I'll walk in the qualities and in the attributes and in the characteristics that Jesus walked in. Why? Not because I'm getting good at it, because I'm, I'm, I'm working it out. I'm, I'm improving in this thing. It's not about that. This is the great news, folks. You, God doesn't give you an assignment and then send you off to the practice grounds to work on it. Come back and let's see how good you're doing now. God is something called transformation. He's a transformational God. So when he gets on the inside of you, he does, he's an on hands in the trenches with you, God. He's going to have his hands in every part of what's going on. And he's going to be the one doing the transforming work from within you. As the Bible says, constantly changing and shaping us into the image of Christ. So as we walk with him, closer with him, burning with passion, we actually start to look more and more like Jesus did in our lives. Is that amazing or what? And that's what Paul said. If I boast, it's not in me. It's in my infirmities. If I boast, it's in the power of Christ. If you see something about my life that represents something good, glory to God. Because it's because of his strength and his power and his transforming ability that took this dude who was messed up in all kinds of stuff through his teenage years and early 20s and said, I'm going to turn you around and I'm going to set you on fire with a purpose for your life. You don't even, you can't even imagine it. You can't even think big enough. But you better hold on to me. You better hold on tight. I'll lead the way. I'll be in front of you every step. Just don't try to get ahead of me. I'll keep my hand on everything and bless it, but don't try to put your hand on it. And I'll keep filling you up constantly with my goodness and my pureness. But stay empty. But stay empty. Pour yourself out. Find humility. Burn with passion. And live a life that God, the creator of the universe, came down from heaven, walked on the earth, and died a terrible death for you to have. He deserves it. Glory to Him. Our lives are dedicated to bringing Him glory. Not a few things that we do. He deserves our whole life.